You're listening to episode 20 with Todd Danielson, Chief Utilities Executive of Avon Lake Regional Water. This episode is brought to you by MasterMeter. Hi, this is Tom Hickman, Director of Engineering and Infrastructure Planning in Bend, Oregon. This is the podcast that is a resource for any city that wants to transform their community through communication. It's water in real life with my friends, the H2 duo, Stephanie Zavala and Ariane Shipley. We're dedicated to sharing stories that demonstrate how communication and collaboration move things forward. If you want to overcome your challenges, then you have to build relationships. Each week, we bring you an inspiring person or resource to give you the tools to curate connections with your customers that create impact. If there's one thing I can be certain of when it comes to you, it's that you love water. And if you're a water utility looking to manage your water you love, then you'll want to talk to our friends over at MasterMeter. They understand that you can't manage what you don't measure, and smart water management begins with accurate measurement. Account for every drop produced and delivered because the utility's progression towards smart cities and IoT begins here. We're trying to be the game changers of communication, and our partner, MasterMeter, is here to deliver game-changing results for you across finance, customer service, and utility operations. They offer an array of products to meet your utility's needs. To determine which smart metering solution is right for you, visit the h2duo.com slash mastermeter. Today we're talking with our friend Todd Danielson, who is another person that we made friends with over Twitter. Twitter's the best, especially if you're a water nerd. Um, and we talked about everything from affordability to water's role in economic development to attracting the next generation of water professionals to our industry and some of the biggest takeaways that we had were hearing about their residential combined sewer separation program and how that all came about from feedback that they got from their customers. He echoed what our intern Aaron Ruskowski said in episode 15 about how we we as an industry can use the amazing things that we're doing to make a difference in our communities and to make an impact which attracts that younger generation and how when talking about the value of water, Metrics don't always have to be statistical. You can look at anecdotal evidence and see the stories or hear the stories of what your customers are doing that show that they truly get it. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Todd Danielson's social media information states his blood type is H2O positive because water is core to him, which is definitely important in his role as the chief utilities executive for Avon Lake Regional Water. A 20-plus year veteran of the industry and a professional engineer by training, Todd most enjoys asking, what if, and helping to implement better ways to serve the public, improve the environment, and spur the economy. I have to say that I think that's like one of my favorite bios I've read so far (laughs) because it really explains like who you are. So thank you uh, so much for being with us today. Yes, thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. So I saw um, that you, or Avon Lake is celebrating their bicentennial. Happy birthday. <laughs> How awesome is that? Um, and the, oh, you said before the Ohio, the Ohio EPA will be celebrating the Cuyahoga's um, River's 50th anniversary of when their fire sparked and caught, you know, sparked the, um, the fire started and sparked the modern environmental movement. Um, so there's a lot going on in your area these days. Um, Definitely. Can you tell us what's going on in your neck of the woods and your community? Well, um, I mean, Avon, like in many ways, it seems like we're just a, a small little sleepy town. Um, but, you know, any small sleepy town uh, is not really sleepy if you actually get to see what's going on. Yeah. Uh, we're just a small uh, 20, 24,000 um, residents and we're on Lake Erie. 
probably about a half hour west of Cleveland. So, um, you know, I was, uh, I came up here because I just, I love water as, as you said in the introduction. Um, and you know, the idea of being on Lake Erie is just incredible. Um, but we as an organization, you know, we're, um, we provide water and wastewater service, not just to the city of Avon Lake, um, but also uh, bulk services all around this area. And, and all told, our water uh, is, you know, we treat water for more than 200,000 people, and we uh, collect wastewater from over 30,000 people. Nice. Wow. wow, that's good. That's, a, that's a, quite a population uh, you have, the service area, that's the word I was looking for, I'm sorry, I'm just stumbling over my words, it's, it's after lunch, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in our initial chat, uh, you told us that you were busy on this project of separating out your combined sewers in your area, but you didn't tell us that you had a program nominated for an award, actually, from the EPA. So your lateral loan program has been nominated for the U.S. EPA's Clean Water State Revolving Loan Funds Performance and Innovation <laughs> in the SRF Creating Environmental Success. Wow, that is a mouthful of a category for an award, but that is amazing. So congratulations. Can you tell us kind of what that's all about? Yeah, sure. Um, so Avon Lake, uh, you know, we are one of oh, roughly 700 communities or so that are combined sewer communities here in, in the United States. And what we did back in 2004 was we entered into a long-term control plan with, with uh, Ohio EPA, where we said we are going to separate all of our sewers. So we are going to comply, we're going to end our combined sewer overflows by separating all of our sewers. Well, about five years into that, so somewhere around 2009, we quickly determined that there's no way we are going to comply with our, our regulation or our requirement, I should say, um, by just separating sewers. Um, so what happened was into our permit was, was um, uh, written the requirement for overflow storage. Well, that really was not something that we wanted to do. Um, so starting around 2013, uh, we implemented uh, a new requirement. And, and that was, listen, if we're separating the sewers in the street, um, homeowners, you need to separate your own sewers, essentially. And, um, you know, if you have a combined lateral, you need to get the clean water out of the sanitary part of your lateral. Now, um, what we then later did, so that was 2013. Mm -hmm. Come 2016, about three years later, you know, we had heard from customers that, listen, you know, we understand, we wanna protect Lake Erie, we, we love our lake, um, and we, we love the idea of, of not having basement backups, which, cause that's one of the things that can happen. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, we, we will, <laughs> yeah, we'll try to separate our sewers, our, our laterals on our property. However, we don't have the money. So, our board of municipal utilities, we're governed by a board of municipal utilities, and, and, and our board said, you know what, we are willing to loan money to our customers to help them do this. Uh, and this was a long process to, to, to get this all into effect, but, but what happened was um, in 2017, we, we signed a deal with Ohio EPA where they would provide us state revolving loan funds for our own revolving loan program. Wow. And they're loaning us up to $5 million for this. Wow. Um, so we've, uh, this program has been in existence for 26 months now, for, so for just over two years, the, the loan program. Mm -hmm. And in those 26 months, we have 
signed over 300 loan agreements with customers. Wow. Um, and we've committed well over a million dollars um, and actually even paid out over about $700,000 to contractors already. So um, we're quite excited about the program and Ohio EPA is as well. And that's why Ohio EPA submitted um, this, uh, this project for a Pisces award. That's awesome. I like the Pisces better than. Yeah, the Pisces word was yeah. much. Uh, yeah, that would that would have flowed a lot better in that intro <laughs> that as I stumbled through that. But well, congratulations, and we hope. Do you find out this fall? I think if you guys got it or not, or we are told we should hear something in August, but um, it's already late August, and we haven't heard anything yet. So we're we're crossing our fingers. Oh, well, we're crossing our fingers uh, for you, too. And, and I love how, you know, that brings us right into communication because you got feedback from your community in terms of what they needed and you, uh, you did something about it and you heard them and created a, a program that could, that could help them with something uh, very serious. Coming, coming out of my own uh, sewer backup in my house just recently, it's amazing how much something that simple can bring you into I mean, of course, we always are grateful for that, but I mean, it's just your whole world stops when you can't flush that toilet. So, <laughs> <laughs> so any any program that's out there helping folks with that uh, sewer issue is uh, is amazing. So, congrats, and our fingers are crossed for you. Thank um, you. So, to communication. So, Twitter is where I've come to meet some of my favorite people, and you are definitely a Twitter rock star when it comes to the conveying the value of communication in the water sector. So have you always been a believer or has that come over time? I would say it has come over time. I mean, like many in our sector and especially as engineers, you know, I've never been one to really kind of like toot my own horn. Mm -hmm. um, uh, however, I, I have been influenced by several people and, and um, actually your, your episode 14 guest, uh, Samantha Viegas, um, you know, happened to, uh, uh, come into my life in in a sense uh, when I started with um, my previous employer, Loudon Water, and um, you know definitely a formative time in my life getting out of the consulting world and into the utility sector, um, and then of course also it was right around nine eleven, uh, which um, you know all of these things together, you know I I really started to learn the importance. Um, that utilities help our customers understand, not in a bragging way, uh, you know what we do for them. And I believe it was Samantha that really helped me uh, learn um, that we must not educate, but rather inform our customers. You know, so in other words, you know, we, we provide the information and um, you know, we, we do it in a way that's genuine, not pompous. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Samantha's awesome. Authenticity. <laughs> I dig yeah. it. Okay, Todd, I've got three words for you. January 8th, 2014. <laughs> Oh, Tell yes. Us that story. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I was just telling you how, how certainly people have, have helped, you know, me form my opinions on, on communication. Well, January 8th of 2014 is definitely another, it was an event that helped me form, um, you know, my, the importance of, of communication. Um, that night uh, was was when uh, I got a call just after midnight from from our water plant and our water plant basically said, hey, we, we're not able to get all the water in that we need. Um, so in is not equaling out and that's no. not a good thing for, for a water uh, company. No. So what was happening was um, there was something called a frazzle ice event and, and uh, we did a lot of research on frazzle ice. It's not something that's overly common, but what it basically is is um, 
the ice was starting to form. Shards were forming, and mm -hmm. it was not forming on the top of the lake. And when ice forms in other parts of the lake than the top, that can be a problem, especially for a water utility. So, um, so there were a heck of a lot of us in, uh, in the, uh, the office that night. And come around 8 a.m. the next day, we finally um, notified our, our customers that we, we needed to ask them to conserve. And I mean, this thing, I mean, it, it became national news. The AP Wire actually covered it. Wow. But um, what we started doing, uh, you know, of, of course, we used our reverse 911 system, but we also used Facebook. And um, it was absolutely incredible what we learned uh, by using Facebook. Um, at the start of the event, we had only about 250 followers. But by the end of the event, we had about 1,750 followers. That was what, a multiple of seven or something like that? <laughs> um, but our, our, our reach for the week, because back then, Facebook would tell you what your weekly reach was. Right, yeah. We, we reached over 63,000 wow. people mm -hmm. you know, that week. Um, and what we did during that time is, is you know, we, we kept them informed and we even uh, posted some pictures of, of what was going on. Mm -hmm. And um, when, when we finally had addressed the, uh, the issue or when we finally started getting the, the water flowing again, it was a little bit over 24 hours after um, I was first called in um, at midnight. And, you know, we, we said, hey, success. And, and uh, we took a, showed some pictures of what was going on. And, you know, what was absolutely incredible, not only to me and my communications person, mm -hmm. uh, but also to the nay naysayers within our organization, those exactly. people that just, you know, were humoring me, you know, oh, yeah, Todd wants, you know, to, us to have a Facebook account. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, spend but, his days on Facebook. Yeah, yeah but, but we actually had hundreds and hundreds of people say thank you. You know, it was one of those, uh, you know, lemons to lemonade type of thing. Yeah, whereby, sure. you know, we might have had a couple of people that said, you know, what the heck, you live on Lake Erie, don't you know about ice? But <laughs> most everybody else said, wow, we didn't know all that you did for us. I mean, because we had actually had guys literally going out on the ice with chainsaws cutting <sighs> holes in the ice to put um, hoses into the water and, and, you know, set them up with temporary pumps and everything. Oh I mean, it, it was an incredible event, but the pictures and helped our customers really understand what their utility would do for them to get them water. Wow. That's yeah. incredible. Well, I'm glad to hear that kind of lemon to lemonade story coming from, um, from your level, from director and from the engineer level. Cause you know, we've experienced that in our same, uh, in our world. And so it's good to hear that it, that it's, it crossed over to, to be impressive to, to people at all levels, because we definitely understand the whole, um, you know, when, when we would post things on Facebook of serious breaks, uh, main breaks, uh, we would have the ability to then take those comments because just like you did, we had a ton, this just like thread of thank you for your service and thank you. Like, what are you, like someone even said, water utilities are first responders too. Like all of these really great comments that we could then, we would physically print them out and put them up on the board so that when the guys were coming back in, um, after being out in, you know, sopping wet in 14 degree weather for 32 some hours straight or something ridiculous like that being honked at and having water splashed all over them that they could say, okay, so that was happening, but there are a bunch of people out there who get it and who appreciate that. And, um, you know, having the stories of the people bringing them hot chocolate or bringing them food, hot meals. hot meals, like these are restaurants that were 
impacted by that. And so it's, I think it's great to be able to share those stories that those anecdotal evidence of, um, the, the positive yeah. of, of social media and how that can, um, influence the public's opinion of you during times when they may be inconvenienced a little bit. So, uh, we were excited to hear that you had your own piece of that story to tell as well. <clears throat> Thank you. But, uh, but like I said, I think not every director out there supports communication in the same way that you do. So what are some talking points for the communicators out there listening and the educators out there that, that they can arm themselves with to make a case for proactive and consistent communication? Well, I mean, to me, I mean, no matter what, you're going to spend time and money communicating. You know, and, you know, it, it kind of comes down to that old saying, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Mm, and, like you, you know, you either put it up front and, and hopefully, you know, you're, you're building that, that relationship bank account, if you want to call it that, with your mm -hmm. customers. Um, you know, and, or, you know, you're, you're responding to the emergency. And then those customers are saying, what the heck are you doing? And, and, you know, you've lost trust, you've lost everything. And then you have to try to build it back. And you never get it all back. Yeah. So, to me, it's one of those things where let's put the money in up front. Let's make sure that our customers know who we are and know that we are honestly acting with their best interests at heart. And when, we, when they actually do believe that, and that takes a long time, as, as you guys best know, um, but when they best, best believe that, they're much willing to support you when you have to ask them to conserve water or you say, I'm sorry, you've got no water right now. We're, we're responding to a water break or, or mm -hmm. whatever else. Yeah, definitely. Um, the amount of time that gets spent, I think that was probably what one over one of, one of our directors was when we got pro in, in Texas here, it, it catches everyone by surprise when the summer comes and their water bills increase. There's like some kind of disconnect between, watering the lawn and, and the bills that come in in response to that. And so a lot of people around this time of the year, especially in August in Texas, get get a, a little crazy about the high water bills. And so then one year we proactively kind of took the chance of reminding people that that was coming and then also use it as an opportunity to educate people on how to even read their water bills and what portion of the water bill was actually going towards actual water usage versus some people's utility bills include their recycling costs and their trash costs and, and things like that. So just kind of keeping it on people's forefront of their minds. And I think we really were able to win over um, our director at the time because he wasn't spending the same amount of time on the phones answering angry high water bill calls as he was the prior year. And so um, I think that was definitely a win for being able to uh, to demonstrate how being a little proactive, you know, because like someone's like, well, do you really want to remind them that high water bills are coming? But I mean, like, yeah, just remind them. And, and that resulted in, in much less pitchforks coming out <laughs> when June, July and August hit. So um, that was that was definitely a positive. <laughs> I want to switch gears for a second and ask you how uh, I mean, I guess that's switching gears. We're still kind of talking about education. Um, how has your master's degree in public admin made you a better director? Yeah. And what, what is your, your take on the value of having an integrated education across all organizational functions? Okay. Well, thanks. Uh, so, 
you know, I like to use analogies if, if at all possible. And, and I mean, you've heard of the one where, you know, if you only have a hammer, everything's a nail. Well, <laughs> yep. um, you know, let's, let's, let's add a little bit of color to that. You know, if, if a utility is like a toolbox and each of the different departments are different tools, um, well, for some jobs, you only need a hammer. Um, mm -hmm. But for other jobs, you might need many tools. Uh, and, and then really, you know, you might even realize that sometimes, you know, working together, you know, um, tools can work in a complementary uh, fashion and do so much more. Well, I viewed uh, my MPA degree as the education that I needed to better understand you know, each of the tools that I have in the toolbox and how to best use them. Um, you know, personally, I believe it's an incredible pro program, um, mm -hmm. you know, for anybody in a utility sector. You really help to understand what does the finance department do? What does communication, right. customer service, engineering, operations, all those different types mm -hmm. of things. Yeah, when we um, actually, we talked to um, Dean Chris Long in one of our previous episodes, and he made me feel a little bit better, a lot better actually, about my own, you know, I went to school at Texas A&M and started out with wildlife and fishery science degree. And at the last, about last year, my student loans ran out. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have to figure out how to either pay to finish out this degree or find a way to be done like as soon as possible right now. <laughs> and that solution was um, university studies degree, which at the time was new and kind of seen as like this fluff degree. And it was really just a major and two minors. And all these years I've been like not saying it, you know, claiming wildlife fishery science because I studied that for five years. I just didn't get two classes done, yada, yada. And he made me feel so much better about like, it's fine. It's a holistic education is what you got. And you are more well-rounded individual by getting the communication or the history side of things in there that I wouldn't have gotten had I just stayed in wildlife and fishery science. Yeah. So it was kind of nice to have a little bit more tools in my box now that I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to own it now. So yeah. <laughs> well, and we're, we're, let me just add, you know, we're doing college tours for my oldest son right now, and, and he wants to be an engineer, um, kind of like me, um, a different major in engineering. But as we are looking at the college programs, we are definitely thinking, okay, we want to make sure that there is a, a large humanities requirement in that. Mm -hmm. You've got to have some, some breadth. You can't just be single focused, you know, right. whether it's, uh, you know, whether it was when I went through my degree or, or certainly now or in, into the future, you, you need to understand the well-rounded effect. Yeah. Do you think that um, through your um, public ed or public admin uh, masters that that's kind of helped you? I almost feel like sometimes different departments are speaking different languages, even if they're ultimately trying to like move forward in the same direction. Do you feel like that's kind of helped you better from a communication standpoint because you kind of can read between the lines? I can't tell you if that's my my degree or or what. I mean, essentially, when I did my public administration degree, I I really enjoyed a lot of the organizational theory type mm -hmm. of courses. Yeah. Um, but also, I mean, I think even when I was going through my my undergraduate or graduate work in engineering, I realized that I, I was I I knew I wasn't going to be an engineer. <laughs> you know, really? I Why? though. Though I can get into the weeds, um, I, I liked stepping up and you know seeing the forest and the trees, uh, mm -hmm. and and I I think that whether it is from the public administration degree and at least understanding to some extent what 
the different departments are saying, or maybe kind of more importantly, trying to always boil it down to, all right, what, what's the big picture here? What are we all trying to accomplish? And what, does it, what do our customers really want? You know, trying to always um, look with the end in mind, I think is, is a really important way to try to things. That's awesome. Well, but you kind of, when you said, what do our customers really want? Do you guys have any sort of like feedback mechanism in place where you can gauge that? Um, not, not over, overly much. We, we have, um, soon after I got here, I got, I got to this organization in late 2010 and in early 2012, uh, I was able to do a customer survey. We hired a, a, a survey firm and they, they interviewed oh, 900 of our customers. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge percentage, like 5%. Yeah. Um, so yeah. It, was, it was statistically significant. Uh, and, and we got some very good feedback. And I want to do that again. Yeah. Um, but what we've also done is when we do major construction projects, our sewer separations are our you know, major projects. They, they yeah. last a year and a half, two years long. Mm-hmm. We have an, an email um, update with those uh, sewer projects. And uh, we ask our customers, we have a couple of different times asked our customers at the end, hey, you know, what's going well, what's not going so well? And, oh, nice. and, and whenever we send out the emails, we always ask for their feedback. So, you know, and as you know, I mean, feedback is, is always going to be either, you know, very positive or more often very negative. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta careful, you know, be careful what you wish for, I guess, right? Yeah. yeah <laughs> I mean, because, you know, when you're asking for feedback, it's self-selective mm-hmm. uh, as, as opposed to those surveys, which are, you know, the, the statistically relevant, hey, we're going to get people from all, all, um, all beliefs. Yeah. Right. And that's one of our um, friend engineer firms. They did a research um, project and that's what they said was like the naysayers are the most vocal. They're the least, there's like only 8% of your population, but they're the most vocal. So be careful what you ask for. <laughs> the <laughs> ones who believe in you and who support you aren't necessarily going to come out and say anything. Yeah. Or maybe not necessarily be careful, but just <laughs> have that in mind and remember yeah. that not everyone hates you. Just the people who hate you are the most vocal. <laughs> I don't know that that makes any director out there feel any better, but just to know that per- the people who are your squeakiest wheels aren't aren't really the um, greatest representation of how yeah, your city. community really feels about you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you hear it all the time that water and water infrastructure, you know, it's just, it's not sexy. It's not a sexy topic, but you know, nothing is really sexier to city leaders and city councils than something like economic growth. But, you know, growth doesn't happen without a, without a reliable and resilient water supply. So what's your take on that relationship between the water and the economy? And how do you think we can do a better job at kind of communicating that role? Okay. Um, well, I mean, I know you guys as well as, as me, a lot of us in this industry certainly, you know, um, listen to what George Hawkins has to say. And of course, George um, has very famously said many, many times that water utilities support all jobs. Um, oh, yeah. So, you know, you've got that. You've got some cities. Uh, I know Erie, Pennsylvania has done this. I know even the state of Michigan does this. Um, you know, they, they are actively promoting development by stating they've got either available water supplies or available infrastructure. And, uh, I'm, and even Wisconsin is, is, is doing a lot of that too. So th- those are some really cool things. I, I really like seeing that. Yeah. Uh, 
as as you guys know, uh, AWWA and WEF have recently launched that transformative issues symposium, where you know they started out with um, affordability, and I believe next year's topic is going to be on workforce issues. Oh, um, yeah. I've I've tried to talk with them. Uh, I've made the suggestion that maybe um, they host a transformative issues. Um, symposium on this role of, of, of utilities with economic development, public health, welfare, you know, to really help realize kind of the importance of, of, of what a utility can do. Um, there are definitely some very progressive utilities across the country. And, and, you know, by and large, I think utilities are a hugely untapped potential resource. Um, you know, I am slowly trying to develop relationships within our own utility and, and, and with our, our customers or, or even potentially future customers. Um, you know, for instance, um, I mean, even though we're right on the shores of Lake Erie, mm -hmm. I would love to try to convince a greenhouse or greenhouses to come in to our town um, and for us to provide them reclaimed water. Yeah. Now, I mean... The water rates here in Avon Lake are the second lowest in the state of Ohio. Wow. Uh, so our water rates are low, but um, maybe I can provide an even less expensive water for them. But more importantly, and this is one of those areas of, of, of new interest, is, is there's an, an, an immense amount of energy, of heat, in our reclaimed water. So possibly we could have actually heat greenhouses with that. Wow. Um, and then, then similarly, um, I mean, of course, a lot of utilities are looking at biogas now. You know, what do you want to do with your digester gas? Um, we're about to start a master plan. And really, I don't want to call it a master plan. I almost want to call it a business plan, yeah. whereby um, we're going to hire a consultant to help us not only identify, um, well, to, to help us identify what we need to do with our digesters, um, because they, they need some work. Um, but you know, let's look at, at the business side of it. Oh, should we take in fats, oils, and greases, or whatever else? Mm -hmm. um, and you know, what should we do with the gas? You know, do we get our own electricity? Do we create a relationship with the local schools and sell them gas at a less expensive rate than them? They're using diesel, for instance, and and run their bus fleet. Mm -hmm. Do we work with local industry? Do we sell it into the gas pipeline and get the renewable energy credits? How do we do this in a way um, that really helps to benefit our customers? Um, either by offsetting costs mm -hmm. or maybe by providing them um, lower cost alternatives. Nice. Um, so whether that's residential customers or businesses, you know, we definitely want to do that. Now we also, Avon Lake, as, as I said, we're a small community, 24,000, mm -hmm. but we did hire an economic development director uh, um, about two years ago now. Mm -hmm. um, so we are trying to work with that economic development director and say, Hey, listen, let's work together. You know, we've got right. some of the lowest water rates in the state as it is. Uh, we've definitely got untapped uh, resources on, on um, av available infrastructure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what else can we do? What, you know, how can we work proactively with industry um, to, to provide what they might want or need? Yeah, I, like that. I think all of those things that you listed are great stories to sh demonstrate ways that water utilities give back to their community. I mean, obviously they pay for a service and they get a service, but it's those things that just add to it. I love the stories of hearing about how, um, you know, water, some wastewater treatment plants are completely self-sufficient and then some and sell energy back to the grid or uh, are, you know, creating biosolids for the farmers and agriculture communities around them. So, 
Even though I know you said that this industry doesn't like to brag about themselves, I feel like it's about time we start bragging on ourselves a mm-hmm. little bit. It's been it's been a few decades. We're yeah. allowed to. <laughs> We've been humble long enough. Yeah, we mm-hmm. we can we can you know toot our horns at least to the at least to the point of showing how we're giving value back to the community in more than just the services that they're paying for. So I think all of those are some amazing ideas and and I'm excited to hear about which ones you guys are able to implement. Yeah, just don't start doing like instead of one water, one gas. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Um so uh in Travis Loops, uh the WEF Words on Water podcast, there was an interview this summer and there was a reference made to the silver tsunami, which is the mass exodus of retiring water professionals. Uh, the younger generation in the workforce grew up with technology and innovation. It's kind of par for the course for them. And in some cases, our industry can be a little behind in that area, specifically in the utility world, at least. Um, how do you think the water industry can do, well, can can attract that new talent to the industry? Well, and I think a lot of this even relates back to our, our last uh, conversation. Uh, you know, all of us, I would say, whether it is, um, you know, those that are in the silver tsunami or or those a little bit younger or or even those that are just coming into the work world or even, you know, in, in school, uh, you know, we want to make a difference. You know, yeah. and um, yeah, providing water and wastewater service has made a huge difference. Um, unfortunately, you know, that's really now the status quo. So, you know, we, you know, to feel like we're making a difference, we must do more. We must do a lot more than just that. And, and I think that if, if we are able to um, start to do some of those things that, that you and I were just talking about, if we're, t- if we're talking about, um, you know, creating gas uh, and selling it to the schools or, or being completely self-sufficient or, or, you know, not having a, a carbon Im- imp- impact, a carbon footprint. Yeah. Um, you know, those things are, I think, you know, would help the, the younger generation, you know, actually say, you know what, I want to make a difference. And this is where I want to make a difference now. And that exactly goes back to what you were just saying, communication. You know, we, we definitely need to communicate to our customers um, and to the school aid audiences. Uh, we, we here at, at Avon Lake Regional Water, we've had a program, uh, we called it Water Warriors, with, with the fifth graders here in Avon Lake, where every fifth grader, now that's only about 325 of them, uh, but every fifth grader in Avon Lake would come to tour both our water and wastewater facilities, mm-hmm. and then we do laboratory experiments with them back um, at the school to help them understand the water treatment process or look under a microscope and see the bacteria from... Um, from the micro, uh, from the from the wastewater treatment plant, um, and of, of course we would have these these little videos of of overviews of the process and things like that. But the kids really loved it, and and they sure. they could grasp it, they could understand what's going on. And I think you know WEF and AWWA are starting to do that kind of on on a, on a grander scale with with videos to try to attract people into the sector. Um, but we just you know we need to keep doing that, but but especially at the grassroots level, at at the utility level. Oh, yeah. The more tactile that you can make uh, the industry for the younger generations, you know, like the fifth graders and lower, that that's really what resonates with them and what they remember. Um, I actually just I have a 12 year old daughter in seventh grade. And like I said, we recently had a, a, a toilet backup in like the bathroom that she normally uses. And so I was like, were you putting down stuff down the toilet that you weren't supposed to? And she was like, no. 
She goes, I know not to put that down there because that one time you took me to that thing you spoke at, they had that demonstration where they showed how all that stuff didn't break down in the sewer. And I was like, oh, proud water parent moment that she remembered that and was able to retain it. But yeah, it's because it, impacted it, her that much. it was a physical demonstration that showed that that, just, that that stuff doesn't break up and that that stuck with her and she remembered that. And I was <laughs> super impressed by that. But yeah, yeah. I 100% agree with, um, that those are the stories that we need to be telling and the things that we need to be um, pushing out there to attract that younger generation, uh, that, that younger generation in the workforce, at least, because um, that rings true with what our intern this summer told us in terms of how passionate they are about making a difference and social justice issues, issues related to water um, but also even the dean that uh, Arianne just referenced, who is actually our current episode out right now, episode 17, um, he talked about how like the millennial, the the millennial generation, the younger generation coming in, they don't want to, yeah, they're learning differently and they don't want to passively learn. They want to be fully engaged in it and to experience it and to have like they need to go to the wastewater treatment plant and smell that, you know, like they, you can't put that in a video. <laughs> yeah, you can't. I mean, I guess you could try to bottle it, but which saws did, I think, but bottle it and sell it. Yeah. Um, I was just going to ask you more on the lines of the fear of that, that directors or that people in utilities might feel. Um, how do you, how do you overcome that when you, when you find the new technology that you know is just going to, you know, be awesome in your your system but it is scary to try something new so how do we get past that fear and and embrace the technologies that are out there well and, and i think uh i think there are a lot of different ways to answer that and and you know you know referencing Give back to george hawkins again <laughs> um you know george has has said that you know the the water side drinking water you know 24 7 365 that water has to meet standards and mm -hmm. And you know, you know, it's it's not something you can say. Whoops, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, we we definitely need to be conservative on the water side. We need to make sure that we are are sure of what we're doing. However, that being said, there are ways to 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 try new ideas. Now, my organization um, has uh, over the years actually gone through high rating studies uh, where we've been able to push more and more water through our facility. I think we've done three of them, uh, two prior to me being here and the third after I, I was here. And some of the ways we've done that is with new technology um, to, to push, you know, to allow the water to, to settle more quickly uh, or the solids, I should say, to settle more right. quickly and other things like that. Um, and you know, we've, we've looked at that and we said, you know, how can we better serve our customers? I mean, if we, for instance, are looking at major rate increases, but we might be able to lessen those rate increases with new technology, um, I think it's worth looking at. Now, on the wastewater side, I think the wastewater side, you know, utilities in general or personnel and utilities in general have been willing to try a little bit more. And there's definitely a lot of a lot of work going on on the wastewater side right now um, that that's really advancing the topic so I don't have a lot of concern on the wastewater mm -hmm. side I, I think I think utilities are naturally just moving that direction yeah. um, but but then you know especially to see the water research foundation um, you know funding 
uh, research on innovation and how do you adopt and implement innovation. I think, I mean, you know, there, you know, throughout this sector, you know, you always get the, the new buzzwords. Innovation is now the next buzzword. I mean, and it has been for probably at least a year or more now. Right. Um, so I, I think that's coming. And then going back to that previous discussion with, with the millennials or the Gen Xers, um, you, know, you know, we'd like to try something new. I am, I am definitely, I mean, you know, looking at my personality type, I am not somebody that, that just likes to remain where I'm at. I always want to keep moving forward and, and, you know, maybe, uh, maybe I make a misstep. Um, and, and I, I do need the people in this organization to say, whoa, slow down, Todd. You know, right. <laughs> let's make sure that, that this is correct. Right. But, you know, I find that if I'm not getting in trouble every once in a while, then I'm not pushing hard enough. That's, that's a good answer. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm your turn is it my turn yep oh again dang that was that one was off the cuff it threw me off (laughs) (laughs) so you mentioned earlier that you uh went to the affordability conference in washington dc um and we obviously lived vicariously through you um and all your tweets what were your biggest takeaways from that conference Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm a tweeter uh, at at the conferences. Keep it up. Uh, yeah, just wait till I get to WefTech. I, I, I think my, my, my thumbs are going to get quite sore there. <laughs> um, but anyway, the, the, uh, the Transformative Issues Symposium on affordability, you know, what, what was driven home to me is that, you know, utility bill affordability is a very real issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even the US EPA now does seem to be moving away from just looking at the median uh, income in, in an area and is now starting to look at... Um, uh, hopefully, more more oftenly, the the bottom twenty percent of the income brackets within the service area, and um, you know when you start to look at those bottom twenty percent, then you start to say, "Wow, that that's uh, that's you know we we might need to look at things a little bit differently." Mm. Um, you know, we you know in in general, I, I think we need to have um, outcome and an outcome oriented mindset. You know, so what are are the intended outcomes for an affordability program? You know, are you are you trying to just, you know, you know, think that these people um, that that are having an issue being able to pay their money, uh, pay mm-hmm. pay their bill, um, do they just need a continual handout, um, or do they need a hand up? Right. Um, so there are actually a variety of things that I, that I think some of the utilities that are a little bit further along on on financial assistance programs are are doing. You know, for instance. Um, those that might not be able to afford a bill most likely cannot afford to um, to pay to fix um, some sort of leak that they right. might have. Yeah. So um, there was a suggestion that if if you're going to put somebody into an affordability program, you should do a water audit first. And if you do that water audit, um, then maybe you should repair some of the uh, some of the leaking fixtures that you might find. You know, a five-dollar toilet flap, or you know, whatever that cost might be, right. could um, could actually save that customer and the utility much more money than necessarily even putting somebody into the program. Yeah, right. um, other utilities, um, they're actually going through um, counseling, a uh, bill payment counseling, um, and and basically saying, okay, you know what, if if you want to get into this financial assistance program, let's let's talk about uh, about 
how you're paying your bills. What, mm -hmm. you know, what is the most important to pay? What is the most important to, to get rid of so that you don't keep having to pay it oh, um, like as, as a way to try to help get, get people out of it? Mm -hmm. Now, those things do not necessarily sound like they are front and center to a utility, but in, in many ways they are. Right. And even along that line, if the entire intention is, is paying the bill, um, you know, one of the other things is, is partnerships. Um, you, know, you know, not only might you want to have partnerships with your local community assistance organization that might help with the bill counseling, yeah. but also um, you know, we send out a bill every month or every quarter, depending on what utility you're at. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, if we are publicizing the fact that we have an affordability program, a financial assistance program, well, might we also want to publicize other financial assistance programs that the gas company has or the phone company or or the 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 the, the community resource organization that might help with uh making making it a little bit easier to get groceries yeah. because looking at you know, them holistically yeah mm -hmm. exactly so you know those were some of the really important things that i said uh, that i learned but and i i think you know if i go back to what one of the presenters from detroit said uh, he said that utilities are anchor institutions in the community. Um, and now to me, what that means is that there's an extra responsibility on us to assure that the community is successful uh, because one, we help draw the customers um, and two, our policies and decisions can help keep the customers within the community. Um, now, I, I realize and I, I definitely don't want to to overstate the fact that we are the only reason why someone is within the community. Um, you know, it, it's part of a greater effort, but um, you know, if, if, we, if we consider that and we want to help keep residents in the community, we want to help keep businesses in the community, we're going to help keep a community thriving. Ooh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. I love that um, ring of responsibility that we can say that we are the cornerstone of modern day civilization, but that means that we have to also, there comes a great responsibility with that role as well. So um, I really like the idea of, of looking at it from a holistic approach because I mean, you're right, we're not the only bill that people are, are paying for. So it makes sense to kind of help them holistically from that perspective too. So that's awesome. Thank you for that. Sure. Um, so the value of water, when you, you talked about innovation being a buzzword, like the value of water for me is kind of a buzz phrase in the industry right now. Um, there's a lot of messaging out there about why it's important and what stories we need to be telling. But, you know, the question that comes to me is, well, how do we know when we've, <laughs> when we've made it? Like, what will the world look like when people really start to get it and to value water. So what do you believe is the value of water's success indicator for you? All right, uh, and, and I'm not necessarily a huge metrics person, so I'm not gonna say when 90% of the people do this or that or something else. <laughs> yeah, plus I uh, You know, I, I kinda like kinda getting the feel for things. So Same here. You know, to me, there are a number, number of potential success indicators. You know, when I see people walking around using reusable water bottles instead of bottled water, I mean, to me, that's a success indicator. Yes. Um, if, uh, if I have schools and community groups asking for tours, you know, that's, that's another yeah. measure of success. Um, you know, hearing enrollment in water-related majors um, in, in local colleges or, or seeing increases in the number of applications for open positions, that's, that's definitely another measure of success. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, just the other day on Facebook, uh, we, we posted a picture of a water fountain 
that we worked with a local grade school and we installed um, at their at their playground. Mm -hmm. And within a matter of days, about four days later, so we had over 100 likes on that post. And we had comments ranging from nice job to love this city. Now, yeah, we had one person say, hey, who's paying for that? But, uh, <laughs> it's always, you know, overall, it's that 8% thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think that's a measure of success for people to say that they love this city because they put in a water fountain at a uh, at a at a playground. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. Sure. That's great. Well, um, oh, well, we agree. <laughs> and yeah, you're definitely not an engineer at heart. You yeah, don't yeah, love yeah. numbers. You don't love metrics. <laughs> yeah. You're like a nice combo. You love anecdotal evidence, and we're big fans of that as well. So, um, well, we appreciate you taking the time, but we have a few. Uh, lightning round questions. Flash mix. Flash mix round <laughs> questions to ask you. <laughs> um, okay, so what's your favorite book right now that you can recommend to all of us? Well, uh, we are definitely in in an organizational change mode at my my organization. So we we've got a number of books that uh, that we're reading as a result of that. Um, I'm currently reading John Cotter's Leading Change, um, mm -hmm. and I, I'm certainly finding that book fascinating about the insights you know it's providing on either why change sticks or or is mired before it begins. Ah. Nice. Okay. Yeah, you'll have to let us know the other ones that you're reading as you start getting into them. So okay. we're always interested to hear what people are reading. We're semi, we're throwing around the idea of starting a book club. So, <laughs> the more books, the merrier. yeah. So, um, what's something that you do every day that drives your productivity? Well, uh, you know, in some respects, I mean, you know, I, I told you I love water and, and, you know, water is eternal. You know, it's, it's classic in many sense. Um, I'm still a Franklin Planner user. <laughs> so, nice. I, you know, I prioritize my to-do lists. Uh, I get done what needs to get done today. And then tomorrow I look at today's to-do list and I say, okay, well, what do I need to get, get done tomorrow? So that, that's huge. And then definitely going back to the whole Leading Change book, you know, it, it talks about establishing a sense of urgency. Mm. Um, you know, to me, it's, it's definitely urgent. To, to kind of create this revolution within water utilities that, that want to try to make a difference in the world. And, and that's, you know, I, I'm, I, I definitely keep working because I want to make that difference. It is urgent. It's the, it's on our board right. every day. I don't know if you can see it. It says to revolutionize the water industry. We have all right. a big reminder right every there day. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I don't know, maybe that gets into my next question. The final question. Um, we ask everyone this question and I, I love the answers, but you know, sometimes in our line of work, we've had people say, well, you know, what's the big deal if I don't do this or that? I'm just one person. I'm not going to make a big impact if, if, if I don't do it or if I do do it. But you know, Ariane and I wholeheartedly disagree with that. We believe that one person totally has uh, the impact to make change out of just making one small change. So What's the one call to action that you're most passionate about that you believe could ultimately change the world? Well, yeah, and, and I would definitely agree with you that everyone can make a difference by taking an active part. And, and to me, you know, it, it's not a specific thing that's the call to action. It's uh, it, actually what really impacted me a little while ago. I, I read uh, Teddy Roosevelt's um, um, statement, you know, the man in the arena. And, you know, what that is, you know, and I'll, I'll read it quickly, you know, it, you know, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds uh, could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, 
who strives valiantly, who errs, comes up short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daringly greatly, while daring greatly, I'm sorry, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never know victory or defeat. So, um, wow. yeah, you know, to, to me, I read that and it was, it was after a, a particularly difficult board meeting I had one night sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I said, yeah, you know what? And it goes back to what we said earlier is that if we don't fail at times, that, that means we're not pushing hard enough. You know, you've yeah. got to keep pushing. And, and a lot of, a lot of, uh, great people have, have said that same thing. That, that's what really, I find um, that's my call to action. I want to make sure that I'm I'm not on the sidelines. Nice. A man in the arena. I like it. Yeah. I dig it. And you know that when you retire, you have a future in audiobooks because that was a great <laughs> reading. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we thank you so much for taking your time uh, to speak with us today. And everyone needs to follow you on Twitter. You have a solid following. You're at like 903 followers already. That's amazing. But um, follow him at at AL Waterchief, especially if he says he's going to be tweeting like mad at WebTech. If you can't go, that'll be a great opportunity to uh, vicariously live through him if you can't be there. But um, you always post really... Um, really great things either informational or just I love when you get on your soapboxes and uh, it's all around good so I highly recommend anyone to, to follow you to get your perspective and again we appreciate your time thanks Stephanie and Ariane as always thanks for joining us today we hope you enjoyed the show we definitely enjoyed making it for you shout out again to our sponsor for this episode Master Meter thank you for making it possible to do what we love on the daily you can check out the show notes for this episode and for every other episode by going to vh2duo.com forward slash water in real life make sure you also visit us on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss out and while you're there be sure to give us a rate and review View for the only podcast in the water space dedicated to communication. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the underscore H2 duo. We'd love to hear from you. As always, we hope you learned something new, got a little inspired, and most importantly, did something today that brought you one step closer to your goal. Until the next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, those who tell the stories rule the world. 